This is Audible. Penguin Random House Audio presents Who Moved My Cheese? An Amazing Way to Deal with Change in Your Work and in Your Life by Spencer Johnson, M.D. Read for you by Tony Roberts and Karen Ziemba and introduced by Dr. Kenneth Blanchard. I am thrilled to be telling you the story behind the story of Who Moved My Cheese? because it means the audio program is complete and is available for all of us to listen to, enjoy, and share with others. This is something I've wanted to see happen ever since I first heard Spencer Johnson tell his great cheese story years ago before we wrote our book, The One Minute Manager, together. I remember thinking then how good the story was and how helpful it would be to me from that moment on. Who Moved My Cheese is a story about change that takes place in a maze where four amusing characters look for cheese. Cheese being a metaphor for what we want to have in life, whether it is a job, a relationship, money, a big house, freedom, health, recognition, spiritual peace, or even activity like jogging or golf. Each of us has our own idea of what cheese is and we pursue it because we believe it makes us happy. If we get it, we often become attached to it. And if we lose it or it's taken away, it can be traumatic. The maze in the story represents where you spend time looking for what you want. It can be the organization you work in, the community you live in, or the relationships you have in your life. I tell the cheese story that you are about to listen to in my talks around the world and often learn later from people about what a difference it has made to them. Believe it or not, this little story has been credited with saving careers, marriages, and lives. One of the many real-life examples comes from Charlie Jones, a well-respected broadcaster for NBC TV who revealed that hearing the story of Who Moved My Cheese saved his career. His job as a broadcaster is unique, but the principles he learned can be used by anyone. Here's what happened. Charlie had worked hard and had done a great job of broadcasting track and field events at an earlier Olympic Games, so he was surprised and upset when his boss told him he had been removed from these showcase events for the next Olympics and was assigned to swimming and diving. Not knowing these sports as well, he was frustrated. He felt unappreciated, and he became angry. He said he felt it wasn't fair. His anger began to affect everything he did. Then he heard the story of Who Moved My Cheese. After that, he said he laughed at himself and changed his attitude. He realized his boss had just moved the cheese, so he adapted. He learned the two new sports and in the process found that doing something new made him feel young. It wasn't long before his boss recognized his new attitude and energy, and he soon got better assignments. He went on to enjoy more success than ever, and was later inducted into the Pro Football's Hall of Fame, Broadcaster's Alley. That's just one of the many real-life stories I've heard about the impact this story has had on people, from their work life to their love life. I'm such a strong believer in the power of Who Moved My Cheese that I gave a copy of an early pre-publication edition to everyone, more than 200 people working in our company. Why? 
Because like every company that wants not only to survive in the future, but stay competitive, the Ken Blanchard companies are constantly changing. They keep moving our cheese. While in the past we may have wanted loyal employees, today we need flexible people who are not possessive about the way things are done around here. And yet, as you know, living in constant whitewater with changes occurring all the time at work or in life can be stressful unless people have a way of looking at change that helps them understand it. Enter the cheese story. When I told people about the story and then gave them a copy, you could almost feel the release of negative energy beginning to occur. Person after person from every department went out of their way to thank me and told me how helpful Who Moved My Cheese had been to them already in seeing the changes going on in our company in a different light. Believe me, this brief parable takes only a little time to listen to, but its impact can be profound. As you listen, you will hear three sections in this program. In the first, a gathering, former classmates talk at a class reunion about trying to deal with the changes happening in their lives. The second section is the story of Who Moved My Cheese, the core of this program. In the third section, a discussion, people discuss what the story meant to them and how they are going to use it in their work and in their lives. Some listeners to this program prefer to stop at the end of the story without listening further and interpret its meaning for themselves. Others enjoy listening to the discussion that follows because it stimulated their thinking about how they might apply what they've learned to their own situation. In any case, I hope each time you listen to Who Moved My Cheese, you will find something new and useful in it, as I do, and that it will help you deal with change and bring you success, whatever you decide success is for you. I hope you enjoy what you discover, and I wish you well. Remember, move with the cheese. A Gathering, Chicago One sunny Sunday in Chicago, several former classmates who were good friends in school gathered for lunch having attended their high school reunion the night before. They wanted to hear more about what was happening in each other's lives. After a good deal of kidding and a good meal, they settled into an interesting conversation. Angela, who had been one of the most popular people in the class, said, Life sure turned out differently than I thought it would when we were in school. A lot has changed. It certainly has, Nathan echoed. They knew he had gone into his family's business, which had operated pretty much the same and had been part of the local community for as long as they could remember. So they were surprised when he seemed concerned. He asked, But have you noticed how we don't want to change when things change? Carlos said, I guess we resist changing, because we're afraid of change. Carlos, you were captain of the football team, Jessica said. I never thought I'd hear you say anything about being afraid. They all laughed as they realized that although they had gone off in different directions, from working at home to managing companies, they were experiencing similar feelings. Everyone was trying to cope with the unexpected changes that were happening to them in recent years, and most admitted that they did not know a good way to handle them. Then Michael said, 
I used to be afraid of change. When a big change came along in our business, we didn't know what to do. So we didn't adjust, and we almost lost it. That is, he continued, until I heard a funny little story that changed everything. How so? Nathan asked. Well, the story changed the way I looked at change, from losing something to gaining something, and it showed me how to do it. After that, things quickly improved, at work and in my life. At first, I was annoyed with the obvious simplicity of the story because it sounded like something we might have been told in school. Then I realized I was really annoyed with myself for not seeing the obvious and doing what works when things change. When I realized the four characters in the story represented the various parts of myself, I decided who I wanted to act like, and I changed. Later, I passed the story on to some people in our company, and they passed it on to others, and soon our business did much better, because most of us adapted to change better. And like me, many people said it helped them in their personal lives. However, there were a few people who said they got nothing out of it. They either knew the lessons and were already living them, or more commonly, they thought they already knew everything and didn't want to learn. They couldn't see why so many others were benefiting from it. When one of our senior executives, who was having difficulty adapting, said the story was a waste of time, other people kidded him, saying they knew which character he was in the story, meaning the one who learned nothing new and did not change. What's the story? Angela asked. It's called, Who Moved My Cheese? The group laughed. I think I like it already, Carlos said. Would you tell us the story? Maybe we can get something from it. Sure, Michael replied. I'd be happy to. It doesn't take long. And so he began. Once, long ago in a land far away, there lived four little characters who ran through a maze looking for cheese to nourish them and make them happy. Two were mice, named Sniff and Scurry, and two were little people, beings who were as small as mice, but who looked and acted a lot like people today. Their names were Hem and Haw. Due to their small size, it would be easy not to notice what the four of them were doing. But if you looked closely enough, you could discover the most amazing things. Every day, the mice and the little people spent time in the maze looking for their own special cheese. The mice, Sniff and Scurry, possessing only simple rodent brains but good instincts, searched for the hard, nibbling cheese they liked, as mice often do. The two little people, Hem and Haw, used their brains, filled with many beliefs, to search for a very different kind of cheese, with a capital C, which they believed would make them feel happy and successful. As different as the mice and little people were, they shared something in common. Every morning, they each put on their jogging suits and running shoes, left their little homes, and raced out into the maze looking for their favorite cheese. The maze was a labyrinth of corridors and chambers, some containing delicious cheese, but there were also dark corners and blind alleys leading nowhere. It was an easy place for anyone to get lost. However, for those who found their way, the maze held secrets that let them enjoy a better life. The mice, 
Sniff and Scurry, used the simple trial-and-error method of finding cheese. They ran down one corridor, and if it proved empty, they turned and ran down another. They remembered the corridors that held no cheese, and quickly went into new areas. Sniff would smell out the general direction of the cheese using his great nose, and Scurry would race ahead. They got lost, as you might expect, went off in the wrong direction, and often bumped into walls. However, the two little people, Hem and Haw, had very complex brains, with beliefs and emotions that made life in the maze more complicated and challenging. They relied on a more sophisticated method of finding cheese that depended on their ability to think and learn from their past experiences, although their abilities were sometimes clouded by the way they looked at things. Eventually, in their own way, they all discovered what they were looking for. They each found their own kind of cheese one day at the end of one of the corridors in Cheese Station C. Every morning after that, the mice and the little people dressed in their running gear and headed over to Cheese Station C. It wasn't long before they each established their own routine. Sniff and Scurry continued to wake early every day and race through the maze, always following the same route. When they arrived at their destination, the mice took off their running shoes, tied them together, and hung them around their necks so they could get to them quickly whenever they needed them again. Then they enjoyed the cheese. In the beginning, Hem and Haw also raced toward Cheese Station C every morning to enjoy the tasty new morsels that awaited them. But after a while, a different routine set in for the little people. Hem and Haw awoke each day a little later, dressed a little slower, and walked to Cheese Station C. After all, they knew where the cheese was now and how to get there. They had no idea where the cheese came from or who put it there. They just assumed it would be there. As soon as Hem and Haw arrived at Cheese Station C each morning, they settled in and made themselves at home. They hung up their jogging suits, put away their running shoes, and put on their slippers. They were becoming very comfortable now that they had found the cheese. This is great, Hem said. There's enough cheese here to last us forever. The little people felt happy and successful and thought they were now secure. It wasn't long before Hem and Haw regarded the cheese they found at Cheese Station C as their cheese. It was such a large store of cheese that they eventually moved their homes to be closer to it and built a social life around it. To make themselves feel more at home, Hem and Haw decorated the walls with sayings and even drew pictures of cheese around them, which made them smile. One read, Having cheese makes you happy. Sometimes Hem and Haw would take their friends by to see their pile of cheese at Cheese Station C and point to it with pride, saying, Pretty nice cheese, huh? Sometimes they shared it with their friends, and sometimes they didn't. We deserve this cheese, Hem said. We certainly had to work long and hard enough to find it. He picked up a nice fresh piece and ate it. Afterwards, Hem fell asleep as he often did. Every night the little people would waddle home full of cheese, and every morning they would confidently return for more. This went on for quite some time. After a while, Hem and Haw's confidence grew into the arrogance of success. 
Soon they became so comfortable, they didn't even notice what was happening. As time went on, Sniff and Scurry continued their routine. They arrived early each morning and sniffed and scratched and scurried around Cheese Station C, inspecting the area to see if there had been any changes from the day before. Then they would sit down to nibble on the cheese. One morning they arrived at Cheese Station C and discovered there was no cheese. They weren't surprised. Since Sniff and Scurry had noticed the supply of cheese had been getting smaller every day, they were prepared for the inevitable and knew instinctively what to do. They looked at each other, removed the running shoes they had tied together and hung conveniently around their necks, put them on their feet, and laced them up. The mice did not overanalyze things. To the mice, the problem and the answer were both simple. The situation at Cheese Station C had changed, so Sniff and Scurry decided to change. They both looked out into the maze. Then Sniff lifted his nose, sniffed, and nodded to Scurry, who took off running through the maze, while Sniff followed as fast as he could. They were quickly off in search of new cheese. Later that same day, Hem and Haw arrived at Cheese Station C. They had not been paying attention to the small changes that had been taking place each day, so they took it for granted their cheese would be there. They were unprepared for what they found. What? No cheese? Ham yelled. He continued yelling. No cheese? No cheese? As though if he shouted loud enough, someone would put it back. Who moved my cheese? He hollered. Finally, he put his hands on his hips, his face turned red, and he screamed at the top of his voice, it's not fair! Haw just shook his head in disbelief. He, too, had counted on finding cheese at Cheese Station C. He stood there for a long time, frozen with shock. He was just not ready for this. Hem was yelling something, but Haw didn't want to hear it. He didn't want to deal with what was facing him, so he just tuned everything out. The little people's behavior was not very attractive or productive, but it was understandable. Finding cheese wasn't easy, and it meant a great deal more to the little people than just having enough of it to eat every day. Finding cheese was the little people's way of getting what they thought they needed to be happy. They had their own ideas of what cheese meant to them, depending on their taste. For some, Finding cheese was having material things. For others, it was enjoying good health or developing a spiritual sense of well-being. For Haw, cheese just meant feeling safe, having a loving family someday, and living in a cozy cottage on Cheddar Lane. To him, cheese was becoming a big cheese in charge of others and owning a big house atop Camembert Hill. Because cheese was important to them, the two little people spent a long time trying to decide what to do. All they could think of was to keep looking around Cheeseless Station C to see if the cheese was really gone. While Sniff and Scurry had quickly moved on, Hem and Haw continued to hem 
and Haw. Haw started to get depressed. What would happen if the cheese wasn't there tomorrow? He had made future plans based on this cheese. The little people couldn't believe it. How could this have happened? No one had warned them. It wasn't right. It was not the way things were supposed to be. Hem and Haw went home that night hungry and discouraged. But before they left, Haw wrote on the wall, The more important your cheese is to you, the more you want to hold on to it. The next day, Hem and Haw left their homes and returned to Cheese Station C again, where they still expected, somehow, to find their cheese. The situation hadn't changed. The cheese was no longer there. The little people didn't know what to do. Hem and Haw just stood there, immobilized like two statues. Haw shut his eyes as tight as he could and put his hands over his ears. He just wanted to block everything out. He didn't want to know the cheese supply had gradually been getting smaller. He believed it had been moved all of a sudden. Hem analyzed the situation over and over, and eventually his complicated brain, with its huge belief system, took hold. Why did they do this to me? he demanded. What's really going on here? Finally, Haw opened his eyes, looked around, and said, By the way, where are Sniff and Scurry? Do you think they know something we don't? Hem scoffed. What would they know? Hem continued. They're just simple mice. They just respond to what happens. We're little people. We're special. We should be able to figure this out. I know we're smarter, Haw said. But we don't seem to be acting smarter at the moment. Things are changing around here, Hem. Maybe we need to change and do things differently. Why should we change? Hem asked. We're little people. We're special. This sort of thing should not happen to us. Or if it does, we should at least get some benefits. Why should we get benefits? Haw asked. Because we're entitled, Hem claimed. Entitled to what? Haw wanted to know. We're entitled to our cheese. Why? Haw asked. Because we didn't cause this problem, Hem said. Somebody else did this, and we should get something out of it. Haw suggested, maybe we should stop analyzing the situation so much and just get going and find some new cheese. Oh, no, Hem argued. I'm going to get to the bottom of this. While Hem and Haw were still trying to decide what to do, Sniff and Scurry were already well on their way. They went farther into the maze, up and down corridors, looking for cheese in every cheese station they could find. They didn't think of anything else but finding new cheese. They didn't find any for some time until they finally went into an area of the maze where they had never been before. Cheese Station N. They squealed with delight. They found what they'd been looking for, a great supply of new cheese. 
They can hardly believe their eyes. It was the biggest store of cheese the mice had ever seen. In the meantime, Ham and Haw were still back in Cheese Station C, evaluating their situation. They were now suffering from the effects of having no cheese. They were becoming frustrated and angry, and were blaming each other for the situation they were in. Now and then, Haw thought about his mice friends, Sniff and Scurry, and wondered if they had found any cheese yet. He believed they might be having a hard time, as running through the maze usually involved some uncertainty. But he also knew that it was likely to only last for a while. Sometimes, Haw would imagine Sniff and Scurry finding new cheese and enjoying it. He thought about how good it would be for him to be out on an adventure in the maze and to find fresh new cheese. He could almost taste it. The more clearly Haw saw the image of himself finding and enjoying the new cheese, the more he saw himself leaving Cheese Station C. Let's go, he exclaimed all of a sudden. No, Hem quickly responded. I like it here. It's comfortable. It's what I know. Besides, it's dangerous out there. No, it isn't, Haw argued. We've run through many parts of the maze before, and we can do it again. I'm getting too old for that, Hem said, and I'm afraid I'm not interested in getting lost and making a fool of myself. Are you? With that, Haw's fear of failing returned, and his hope of finding new cheese faded. So every day the little people continued to do what they had done before. They went to Cheese Station C, found no cheese, and returned home, carrying their worries and frustrations with them. They tried to deny what was happening, but found it harder to get to sleep, had less energy the next day, and were becoming irritable. Their homes were not the nurturing places they once were. The little people had difficulty sleeping and were having nightmares about not finding any cheese. But Hem and Haw still returned to Cheese Station C and waited there every day. Hem said, You know, if we just work harder, we'll find that nothing has really changed that much. The cheese is probably nearby. Maybe they just hid it behind the wall. The next day, Hem and Haw returned with tools. Hem held the chisel while Haw banged on the hammer until they made a hole in the wall of Cheese Station C. They peered inside, but found no cheese. They were disappointed, but believed they could solve the problem. So they started earlier, stayed longer, and worked harder. But after a while, all they had was a large hole in the wall. Haw was beginning to realize the difference between activity and productivity. Maybe, Hem said, we should just sit here and see what happens. Sooner or later they have to put the cheese back. Haw wanted to believe that. So each day he went home to rest and returned reluctantly with Hem to Cheese Station C. But the cheese never reappeared. By now, the little people were growing weak from hunger and stress. Haw was getting tired of just waiting for their situation to improve. 
he began to see that the longer they stayed in their cheeseless situation, the worse off they would be. Hoare knew they were losing their edge. Finally, one day, Hoare began laughing at himself. <laughs> Look at us. We keep doing the same things over and over again and wonder why things don't get better. If this wasn't so ridiculous, it would be even funnier. Hoare did not like the idea of having to run through the maze again because he knew he would get lost and have no idea where he would find any cheese. But he had to laugh at his folly when he saw what his fear was doing to him. He asked Hem, Where did we put our running shoes? It took a long time to find them because they had put everything away when they found their cheese at Cheese Station C, thinking they wouldn't be needing them anymore. As Hem saw his friend getting into his running gear, he said, You're not really going out into the maze again, are you? Why don't you just wait here with me until they put the cheese back? Because you just don't get it, Hoa said. I didn't want to see it either, but now I realize they're never going to put yesterday's cheese back. It's time to find new cheese. Hem argued, but what if there is no cheese out there? Or even if there is, what if you don't find it? I don't know, Hoare said. He had asked himself those same questions too many times and felt the fears again that kept him where he was. He asked himself, where am I more likely to find cheese? Here or in the maze? He painted a picture in his mind. He saw himself venturing out into the maze with a smile on his face. While this picture surprised him, it made him feel good. He saw himself getting lost now and then in the maze, but felt confident he would eventually find new cheese out there and all the good things that came with it. He gathered his courage. Then he used his imagination to paint the most believable picture he could with the most realistic details of him finding and enjoying the taste of new cheese. He saw himself eating Swiss cheese with holes in it, bright orange cheddar and American cheeses, Italian mozzarella and wonderfully soft French camembert cheese, and then he heard him say something and realized they were still at Cheese Station C. Hoare said, Sometimes, Hem, things change, and they're never the same again. This looks like one of those times. That's life. Life moves on, and so should we. Hoare looked at his emaciated companion and tried to talk sense to him, but Hem's fear had turned into anger and he wouldn't listen. Hoare didn't mean to be rude to his friend, but he had to laugh at how silly they had both looked. As Hoare prepared to leave, he started to feel more alive, knowing that he was finally able to laugh at himself, let go, and move on. Hoare laughed and announced, It's maze time! Hem didn't laugh, and he didn't respond. 
Hawk picked up a small sharp rock and wrote a serious thought on the wall for him to think about. As was his custom, Haw even drew a picture of cheese around it, hoping it would help him to smile, lighten up, and go after the new cheese. But Hem didn't want to see it. It read, If you do not change, you can become extinct. Then Haw stuck his head out and peered anxiously into the maze. He thought about how he'd gotten himself into this cheeseless situation. He had believed that there may not be any cheese in the maze, or he may not find it. Such fearful beliefs were immobilizing and killing him. Haw smiled. He knew Hem was wondering, Who moved my cheese? But Haw was wondering, Why didn't I get up and move with the cheese sooner? As he started out into the maze, Haw looked back to where he had come from and felt its comfort. He could feel himself being drawn back into familiar territory, even though he hadn't found cheese there for some time. Haw became more anxious and wondered if he really wanted to go out into the maze. He wrote a saying on the wall ahead of him and stared at it for some time. What would you do if you weren't afraid? He thought about it. He looked to his right, to the part of the maze where he had never been, and felt the fear. Then he took a deep breath, turned right into the maze, and jogged slowly into the unknown. As he tried to find his way, Hoare worried at first that he might have waited too long in Cheese Station C. He hadn't had any cheese for so long that he was now weak. It took him longer, and it was more painful than usual to get through the maze. He decided that if he ever got the chance again, he would get out of his comfort zone and adapt to change sooner. It would make things easier. Then Haw smiled a weak smile as he thought, Better late than never. During the next several days, Haw found a little cheese here and there, but nothing that lasted very long. He had hoped to find enough cheese to take some back to him and encourage him to come out into the maze. But Haw didn't feel confident enough yet. He had to admit he found it confusing in the maze. Things seemed to have changed since the last time he was out here. Just when he thought he was getting ahead, he would get lost in the corridors. It seemed his progress was two steps forward and one step backward. It was a challenge, but he had to admit that being back in the maze hunting for cheese wasn't nearly as bad as he feared it might be. As time went on, he began to wonder if it was realistic for him to expect to find new cheese. He wondered if he had bitten off more than he could chew. Then he laughed realizing that he had nothing to chew on at the moment. Whenever he started to get discouraged, he reminded himself that what he was doing, as uncomfortable as it was at the moment, was in reality much better than staying in the cheeseless situation. He was taking control rather than simply letting things happen to him. Then he reminded himself if Sniff and Scurry could move on, so could he. Later, as Haw looked back on things, he realized that the cheese at Cheese Station C had not just disappeared overnight, as he had once believed. 
The amount of cheese that had been there toward the end had been getting smaller, and what was left had grown old. It didn't taste as good. Mold may even have begun to grow on the old cheese, although he hadn't noticed it. He had to admit, however, that if he had wanted to, he probably could have seen what was coming, but he didn't. Hoare now realized that the change probably would not have taken him by surprise if he had been watching what was happening all along, and if he had anticipated change. Maybe that's what Sniff and Scurry had been doing. He decided he would stay more alert from now on. He would expect change to happen and look for it. He would trust his basic instincts to sense when change was going to occur and be ready to adapt to it. He stopped for a rest and wrote on the wall of the maze, Smell the cheese often so you know when it is getting old. Sometime later, after not finding cheese for what seemed like a long time, Hoare finally came across a huge cheese station which looked promising. When he went inside, however, he was most disappointed to discover that the cheese station was empty. This empty feeling has happened to me too often, he thought. He felt like giving up. Hoare was losing his physical strength. He knew he was lost and was afraid he would not survive. He thought about turning around and heading back to Cheese Station C. At least if he made it back and Hem was still there, Hoare wouldn't be alone. Then he asked himself the same question again. What would I do if I weren't afraid? Hoare thought he was past his fear but was afraid more often than he liked to admit, even to himself. He wasn't always sure what he was afraid of, but in his weakened condition he knew now he was simply fearful of going on alone. Hoare didn't know it, but he was running behind because he was still weighed down by fearful beliefs. Hoare wondered if Hem had moved on, or if he was still paralyzed by his own fears. Then Hoare remembered the times when he had felt his best in the maze. It was when he was moving along. He wrote on the wall, knowing it was as much a reminder to himself as it was a marking for his friend Hem, hopefully to follow. Movement in a new direction helps you find new cheese. Hoare looked down the dark passageway and was aware of his fear. What lay ahead? Was it empty? Or worse, were there dangers lurking? He began to imagine all kinds of frightening things that could happen to him. He was scaring himself to death. Then he laughed at himself. He realized his fears were making things worse. So... He did what he would do if he wasn't afraid. He moved in a new direction. As he started running down the dark corridor, he began to smile. Hoare didn't realize it yet, but he was discovering what nourished his soul. He was letting go and trusting what lay ahead for him, even though he did not know exactly what it was. To his surprise, Hoare started to enjoy himself more and more. Why do I feel so good, he wondered. 
I don't have any cheese, and I don't know where I'm going. Before long, he knew why he felt good. He stopped to write again on the wall. When you move beyond fear, you feel free. Hoare realized he had been held captive by his own fear. Moving in a new direction had freed him. Now he felt the cool breeze that was blowing in this part of the maze, and it was refreshing. He took in some deep breaths and felt invigorated by the movement. Once he had gotten past his fear, it turned out to be more enjoyable than he once believed it could be. Hoare hadn't felt this way for a long time. He had almost forgotten how much fun it was. To make things even better, Hoare started to paint a picture in his mind again. He saw himself in great realistic detail, sitting in the middle of a pile of all his favorite cheeses, from cheddar to brie. He saw himself eating the many cheeses he liked, and he enjoyed what he saw. Then he imagined how much he would enjoy all their great tastes. The more clearly he saw the image of himself enjoying new cheese, the more real and believable it became. He could sense that he was going to find it. He wrote, Imagining myself enjoying new cheese, even before I find it, leads me to it. Hoare kept thinking about what he could gain instead of what he was losing. He wondered why he had always thought that a change would lead to something worse. Now he realized that change could lead to something better. Why didn't I see this before, he asked himself. Then he raced through the maze with greater strength and agility. Before long, he spotted a cheese station and became excited as he noticed little pieces of new cheese near the entrance. They were types of cheese he had never seen before, but they looked great. He tried them and found they were delicious. He ate most of the new cheese bits that were available and put a few in his pocket to have later and perhaps share with him. He began to regain his strength. He entered the cheese station with great excitement, but to his dismay he found it was empty. Someone had already been there and had left only the few bits of new cheese. He realized that if he had moved sooner, he would very likely have found a good deal of new cheese here. Hoare decided to go back and see if Hem was ready to join him. As he retraced his steps, he stopped and wrote on the wall, The quicker you let go of old cheese, the sooner you'll find new cheese. After a while, Hoare made his way back to Cheese Station C and found Hem. He offered Hem bits of new cheese, but was turned down. Hem appreciated his friend's gesture, but said, I don't think I would like new cheese. It's not what I'm used to. I want my own cheese back, and I'm not going to change until I get what I want. Hoare just shook his head in disappointment, and reluctantly went back out on his own. As he returned to the farthest point he had reached in the maze, he missed his friend, but realized he liked what he was discovering. Even before he found what he hoped would be a great supply of new cheese, if ever, 
he knew that what made him happy wasn't just having cheese. He was happy when he wasn't being run by his fear. He liked what he was doing now. Knowing this, Hoare didn't feel as weak as he did when he stayed in Cheese Station C with no cheese. Just realizing he was not letting his fear stop him, and knowing that he had taken a new direction, nourished him and gave him strength. Now he felt that it was just a question of time before he found what he needed. In fact, he sensed he had already found what he was looking for. He smiled as he realized, It is safer to search in the maze than remain in a cheeseless situation. Hoare realized again, as he had once before, that what you are afraid of is never as bad as what you imagine. The fear you let build up in your mind is worse than the situation that actually exists. He'd been so afraid of never finding new cheese that he didn't even want to start looking. But since starting his journey, he had found enough cheese in the corridors to keep him going. Now he looked forward to finding more. Just looking ahead was becoming exciting. His old thinking had been clouded by his worries and fears. He used to think about not having enough cheese, or not having it last as long as he wanted. He used to think more about what could go wrong than what could go right. But that had changed in the days since he had left Cheese Station C. He used to believe that cheese should never be moved and the change wasn't right. Now he realized it was natural for change to continually occur, whether you expect it or not. Change could surprise you only if you didn't expect it and weren't looking for it. When he realized he had changed his beliefs, he paused to write on the wall. Old beliefs do not lead you to new cheese. Hoare hadn't found any cheese yet, but as he ran through the maze, he thought about what he had already learned. Hoare now realized that his new beliefs were encouraging new behaviors. He was behaving differently than when he kept returning to the same cheeseless station. He knew when you change what you believe, you change what you do. You can believe that a change will harm you and resist it, or you can believe that finding new cheese will help you and embrace the change. It all depends on what you choose to believe. He wrote on the wall, When you see that you can find and enjoy new cheese, you change course. Hoare knew he would be in better shape now if he had embraced the change much sooner and left Cheese Station C earlier. He would feel stronger in body and spirit, and he could have coped better with the challenge of finding new cheese. In fact, he probably would have found it by now if he had expected change, rather than wasting time denying that the change had already taken place. He used his imagination again and saw himself finding and savoring new cheese. He decided to proceed into the more unknown parts of the maze and found little bits of cheese here and there. Hoare began to regain his strength and confidence. As he thought back on where he had come from, Hoare was glad he had written on the wall in many places. 
He trusted that it would serve as a marked trail for him to follow through the maze if he chose to leave Cheese Station C. He just hoped he was heading in the right direction. He thought about the possibility that Hem would read the handwriting on the wall and find his way. He wrote on the wall what he had been thinking about for some time. Noticing small changes early helps you adapt to the bigger changes that are to come. By now, Hoare had let go of the past and was adapting to the present. He continued on through the maze with greater strength and speed, and before long, it happened. When it seemed like he had been in the maze forever, his journey, or at least this part of his journey, ended quickly and happily. Hoare proceeded along a corridor that was new to him, rounded a corner, and found new cheese at Cheese Station N. When he went inside, he was startled by what he saw. Piled high everywhere was the greatest supply of cheese he had ever seen. He didn't recognize all that he saw as some kinds of cheese were new to him. Then he wondered for a moment whether it was real or just his imagination, until he saw his old friends Sniff and Scurry. Sniff welcomed Hoare with a nod of his head, and Scurry waved his paw. Their fat little bellies showed that they had been here for some time. Hoare quickly said his hellos and soon took bites of every one of his favorite cheeses. He pulled off his shoes, tied the laces together, and hung them around his neck in case he needed them again. Sniff and Scurry laughed. They nodded their heads in admiration. Then Hoare jumped into the new cheese. When he had eaten his fill, he lifted a piece of fresh cheese and made a toast. Hooray for change! As Hoare enjoyed the new cheese, he reflected on what he had learned. He realized that when he had been afraid to change, he had been holding on to the illusion of old cheese that was no longer there. So what was it that made him change? Was it the fear of starving to death? Hoare smiled as he thought it certainly helped. Then he laughed and realized that he had started to change as soon as he had learned to laugh at himself and at what he had been doing wrong. He realized the fastest way to change is to laugh at your own folly. Then you can let go and quickly move on. He knew he had learned something useful about moving on from his mice friends, Sniff and Scurry. They kept life simple. They didn't overanalyze or overcomplicate things. When the situation changed and the cheese had been moved, they changed and moved with the cheese. He would remember that. Hoare had also used his wonderful brain to do what little people do better than mice. He reflected on the mistakes he had made in the past and used them to plan for his future. He knew that you could learn to deal with change. You could be more aware of the need to keep things simple, be flexible, and move quickly. You did not need to overcomplicate matters or confuse yourself with fearful beliefs. You could notice when the little changes began, 
so that you would be better prepared for the big change that might be coming. He knew he needed to adapt faster, for if you do not adapt in time, you might as well not adapt at all. He had to admit that the biggest inhibitor to change lies within yourself, and that nothing gets better until you change. Perhaps most importantly, he realized that there is always new cheese out there, whether you recognize it at the time or not, and that you are rewarded with it when you go past your fear and enjoy the adventure. He knew some fear should be respected, as it can keep you out of real danger, but he realized most of his fears were irrational and had kept him from changing when he needed to. He didn't like it at the time, but he knew that the change had turned out to be a blessing in disguise, as it led him to find better cheese. He had even found a better part of himself. As Hoare recalled what he had learned, he thought about his friend Hem. He wondered if Hem had read any of the sayings Hoare had written on the wall at Cheese Station C and throughout the maze. Had Hem ever decided to let go and move on? Had he ever entered the maze and discovered what could make his life better? Or was Hem still hemmed in because he would not change? Hoare thought about going back again to Cheese Station C to see if he could find Hem, assuming that Hoare could find his way back there. If he found Hem, he thought he might be able to show him how to get out of his predicament. But Hoare realized that he had already tried to get his friend to change. Hem had to find his own way, beyond his comforts and past his fears. No one else could do it for him or talk him into it. He somehow had to see the advantage of changing himself. Hoare knew he had left a trail for Hem and that he could find his way if he could just read the handwriting on the wall. He went over and wrote down a summary of what he had learned on the largest wall of Cheese Station N. He drew a large piece of cheese around all the insights he had learned and smiled as he looked at what he had learned. Change happens. They keep moving the cheese. Anticipate change. Get ready for the cheese to move. Monitor change. Smell the cheese often so you know when it's getting old. Adapt to change quickly. The quicker you let go of old cheese, the sooner you can enjoy new cheese. Change. Move with the cheese. Enjoy change. Savor the adventure and enjoy the taste of new cheese. Be ready to change quickly and enjoy it again. They keep moving the cheese. Hoare realized how far he had come since he had been with Hem in Cheese Station C, but knew it would be easy for him to slip back if he got too comfortable. So each day he inspected Cheese Station N to see what the condition of his cheese was. He was going to do whatever he could to avoid being surprised by unexpected change. While Hoare still had a great supply of cheese, he often went out into the maze and explored new areas to stay in touch with what was happening around him. He knew it was safer to be aware of his real choices than to isolate himself in his comfort zone. 
Haw heard what he thought was the sound of movement out in the maze. As the noise grew louder, he realized that someone was coming. Could it be that Hem was arriving? Was he about to turn the corner? Haw said a little prayer and hoped, as he had many times before, that maybe at last his friend was finally able to move with the cheese and enjoy it. The End Or is it a new beginning? A Discussion Later that same day When Michael finished telling the story, he looked around the room and saw his former classmates smiling at him. Several thanked him and said they got a good deal out of the story. Nathan asked the group, What would you think of getting together later and maybe discussing it? Most of them said they would like to talk about it, and so they arranged to meet later for a drink before dinner. That evening, as they gathered in a hotel lounge, they began to kid each other about finding their cheese and seeing themselves in the maze. Then Angela asked the group good-naturedly, So, who were you in the story? Sniff, Scurry, Hem, or Haw? Carlos answered, Well, I was thinking about that this afternoon. I clearly remember a time before I had my sporting goods business when I had a rough encounter with change. I wasn't sniff. I didn't sniff out the situation and see the change early. And I certainly wasn't scurry. I didn't go into action immediately. I was more like him, who wanted to stay in familiar territory. The truth is, I didn't want to deal with the change. I didn't even want to see it. Michael, who felt like no time had passed since he and Carlos were close friends in school, asked, What are we talking about here, buddy? Carlos said, An unexpected change of jobs. Michael laughed. You were fired? Well, let's just say I didn't want to go out looking for new cheese. I thought I had a good reason why change shouldn't happen to me, so I was pretty upset at the time. Some of their former classmates who had been quiet in the beginning, felt more comfortable now and spoke up, including Frank, who had gone into the military. Hem reminds me of a friend of mine, Frank said. His department was closing down, but he didn't want to see it. They kept relocating his people. We all tried to talk to him about the many other opportunities that existed in the company for those who wanted to be flexible, but he didn't think he had to change. He was the only one who was surprised when his department closed. Now he's having a hard time adjusting to the change he didn't think should happen. Jessica said, I didn't think it should happen to me either, but my cheese has been moved more than once, especially in my personal life. But we can get to that later. Many in the group laughed, except Nathan. Maybe that's the whole point, Nathan said. Change happens to all of us. He added, I wish my family had heard the cheese story before this. Unfortunately, we didn't want to see the changes coming in our business, and now it's too late. We're having to close many of our stores. That surprised many in the group because they thought Nathan was lucky to be in a secure business he could depend on year after year. What happened? Jessica wanted to know. Our chain of small stores suddenly became old-fashioned when the megastore came to town with its huge inventory and low prices. We just couldn't compete with that. 
I can see now that instead of being like Sniff and Scurry, we were like him. We stayed where we were and didn't change. We tried to ignore what was happening, and now we are in trouble. We could have taken a couple lessons from Haw, because we certainly couldn't laugh at ourselves and change what we were doing. Laura, who had become a successful businesswoman, had been listening, but had said very little until now. I thought about the story this afternoon, too, she said. I wondered how I could be more like Haw and see what I'm doing wrong, laugh at myself, change, and do better. She said, I'm curious how many here are afraid of change. No one responded, so she suggested, How about a show of hands? Only one hand went up. Well, it looks like we've got one honest person in our group, she said, and then continued. Maybe you'll like this next question better. How many here think other people are afraid of change? Practically everyone raised their hands. Then they all started laughing. What does that tell us? Denial, Nathan answered. Sure, Michael admitted. Sometimes we're not even aware that we're afraid. I know I wasn't. When I first heard the story, I loved the question, what would you do if you weren't afraid? Then Jessica added, well, what I got from the story is that change is happening everywhere and that I will do better when I can adjust to it quickly. I remember years ago when our company was selling our encyclopedia as a set of more than 20 books. One person tried to tell us that we should put our whole encyclopedia on a single computer disk and sell it for a fraction of the cost. It would be easier to update, would cost us so much less to manufacture, and so many more people could afford it. But we all resisted. Why did you resist? Nathan asked. Because we believed then that the backbone of our business was our large sales force, who called on people door to door. Keeping our sales force depended on the big commissions they earned from the high price of our product. We had been doing this successfully for a long time and thought it would go on forever. Laura said, maybe that's what it meant in the story about Hem and Haw's arrogance of success. They didn't notice they needed to change what had once been working. Nathan said, so you thought your old cheese was your only cheese. Yes, and we wanted to hang on to it. When I think back on what happened to us, I see that it's not just that they moved the cheese, but that the cheese has a life of its own and eventually runs out. Anyway, we didn't change, but a competitor did, and our sales fell badly. We've been going through a difficult time. Now, another big technological change is happening in the industry, and no one at the company seems to want to deal with it. It doesn't look good. I think I could be out of a job soon. It's maze time! Carlos called out. Everyone laughed, including Jessica. Carlos turned to Jessica and said, It's good that you can laugh at yourself. Frank offered, That's what I got out of the story. I tend to take myself too seriously. I noticed how Haw changed when he could finally laugh at himself and at what he was doing. No wonder he was called Haw. The group groaned at the obvious play on words. Angela asked, Do you think that Hem ever changed and found new cheese? Elaine said, I think he did. I don't, Corey said. Some people never change, and they pay a price for it. I see people like Hem in my medical practice. They feel entitled to their cheese. They feel like victims when it's taken away and blame others. They get sicker than people who let go and move on. Then Nathan said quietly, as though he was talking to himself, 
I guess the question is, what do we need to let go of, and what do we need to move on to? No one said anything for a while. I must admit, Nathan said, I saw what was happening with stores like ours in other parts of the country, but I hoped it wouldn't affect us. I guess it's a lot better to initiate change while you can than it is to try to react and adjust to it. Maybe we should move our own cheese. What do you mean? Frank asked. Nathan answered, I can't help but wonder where we would be today if we had sold the real estate under all our old stores and built one great modern store to compete with the best of them. Laura said, Maybe that's what Haw meant when he wrote on the wall, Savor the adventure and move with the cheese. Frank said, I think some things shouldn't change. For example, I want to hold on to my basic values, but I realize now that I would be better off if I had moved with the cheese a lot sooner in my life. Well, Michael, it was a nice little story, Richard the class skeptic said. But how did you actually put it into use in your company? The group didn't know it yet, but Richard was experiencing some changes himself. Recently separated from his wife, he was now trying to balance his career with raising his teenagers. Michael replied, You know, I thought my job was just to manage the daily problems as they came up, when what I should have been doing was looking ahead and paying attention to where we were going. And boy, did I manage those problems, 24 hours a day. I wasn't a lot of fun to be around. I was in a rat race, and I couldn't get out. Laura said, So you were managing when you needed to be leading. Exactly, Michael said. Then when I heard the story of who moved my cheese, I realized my job was to paint a picture of new cheese that we would all want to pursue so we could enjoy changing and succeeding, whether it was at work or in life. Nathan asked, What did you do at work? Well, when I asked people in our company who they were in the story, I saw we had every one of the four characters in our organization. I came to see that the sniffs, scurries, hems, and haws each needed to be treated differently. Our sniffs could sniff out changes in the marketplace, so they helped us update our corporate vision. They were encouraged to identify how the changes would result in new products and services our customers would want. The sniffs loved it and told us they enjoyed working in a place that recognized change and adapted in time. Our scurries liked to get things done, so they were encouraged to take actions based on the new corporate vision. They just needed to be monitored so they didn't scurry off in the wrong direction. They were then rewarded for actions that brought us new cheese. They liked working in a company that valued action and results. What about the hems and haws? Angela asked. Unfortunately, the hems were the anchors that slowed us down, Michael answered. They were either too comfortable or too afraid to change. Some of our hems changed only when they saw the sensible vision we painted that showed them how changing would work to their advantage. Our hems told us they wanted to work in a place that was safe, so the change needed to make sense to them and increase their sense of security. When they realized the real danger of not changing, some of them changed and did well. The vision helped us turn many of our hems into haws. What did you do with the hems who didn't change? Frank wanted to know. We had to let them go, Michael said sadly. We wanted to keep all our employees, but we knew if our business didn't change quickly enough, we would all be in trouble. Then, he said, the good news is that while our haws were initially hesitant, 
They were open-minded enough to learn something new, act differently, and adapt in time to help us succeed. They came to expect change and actively look for it. Because they understood human nature, they helped us paint a realistic vision of new cheese that made good sense to practically everyone. They told us they wanted to work in an organization that gave people the confidence and tools to change. And they helped us keep our sense of humor as we went after our new cheese. Richard commented, You got all that from a little story? Michael smiled. It wasn't the story, but what we did differently based on what we took from it. Angela admitted, I'm a little bit like him, so for me, the most powerful part of the story was when Haw laughed at his fear and went on to paint a picture in his mind where he saw himself enjoying new cheese. It made going into the maze less fearful and more enjoyable, and he eventually got a better deal. That's what I want to do more often. Frank grinned, so even Hems can sometimes see the advantage of changing. Carlos laughed like the advantage of keeping their jobs, Angela added, or even getting a good raise. Richard, who had been frowning during the discussion, said, My manager's been telling me our company needs to change. I think what she's really telling me is that I need to, but I haven't wanted to hear it. I guess I never really knew what the new cheese was that she was trying to move us to, or how I could gain from it. A slight smile crossed Richard's face as he said, I must admit I like the idea of seeing new cheese and imagining yourself enjoying it. It lightens everything up. When you see how it can make things better, you get more interested in making the change happen. Maybe I could use this in my personal life, he added. My children seem to think that nothing in their lives should ever change. I guess they're acting like him. They're angry. They're probably afraid of what the future holds. Maybe I haven't painted a realistic picture of new cheese for them probably because I don't see it myself. The group was quiet as several people thought about their own lives. Well, Jessica said, most people here have been talking about jobs, but as I listened to the story, I also thought about my personal life. I think my current relationship is old cheese that has some pretty serious mold on it. Corey laughed in agreement. Me too. I probably need to let go of a bad relationship. Angela countered, or perhaps the old cheese is just old behavior. What we really need to let go of is the behavior that is the cause of our bad relationships, and then move on to a better way of thinking and acting. Ouch, Corey reacted. Good point. The new cheese is a new relationship with the same person? Richard said, I'm beginning to think there is more to this than I thought. I like the idea of letting go of old behavior instead of letting go of the relationship. Repeating the same behavior will just get you the same results. As far as work goes, maybe instead of changing jobs, I should be changing the way I'm doing my job. I'd probably have a better position by now if I did. Then Becky, who lived in another city but had returned for the reunion, said, As I was listening to the story and to everyone's comments here, I've had to laugh at myself. I've been like him for so long, hemming and hawing and afraid of change. I didn't realize how many other people did this as well. I'm afraid I've passed it on to my children without even knowing it. As I think about it, I realize change really can lead you to a new and better place, although you're afraid it won't at the time. I remember a time when our son was a sophomore in high school. My husband's job required us to move from Illinois to Vermont, 
and our son was upset because he had to leave his friends. He was a star swimmer, and the high school in Vermont had no swim team, so he was angry with us for making him move. As it turned out, he fell in love with the Vermont mountains, took up skiing, skied on his college team, and now lives happily in Colorado. If we had all enjoyed this cheese story together over a cup of hot chocolate, we could have saved our family a lot of stress. Jessica said, I'm going home to tell my family this story. I'll ask my children who they think I am, sniff, scurry, hammer, haw, and who they feel they are. We could talk about what we feel our family's old cheese is and what our new cheese could be. That's a good idea, Richard said, surprising everyone, even himself. Frank then commented, I think I'm going to be more like haw and move with the cheese and enjoy it. And I'm going to pass this story along to my friends who are worried about leaving the military and what the change might mean to them. It could lead to some interesting discussions. Michael said, Well, that's how we improved our business. We had several discussions about what we got from the cheese story and how we could apply it to our situation. It was great because we had language that was fun for us to use to talk about how we were dealing with change. It was very effective, especially as it spread deeper into the company. Nathan asked, What do you mean by deeper? Well, the further we went into our organization, the more people we found who felt they had less power. They were understandably more afraid of what the change imposed from above might do to them, so they resisted change. In short, a change imposed is a change opposed. But when the cheese story was shared with literally everyone in our organization, it helped us change the way we looked at change. It helped everyone laugh or at least smile at their old fears and want to move on. I only wished I'd heard the cheese story sooner, Michael added. How come? Carlos asked. Because by the time we got around to addressing the changes, our business had already fallen off so badly that we had to let people go, as I said earlier, including some good friends. It was hard on all of us. However, those who stayed and most of those who left said the cheese story helped them see things differently and eventually cope better. Those who had to go out and look for a new job said it was hard at first, but recalling the story was a great help to them. Angela asked, what helped them most? Michael replied, after they got past their fear, they told me the best thing was realizing that there was new cheese out there just waiting to be found. They said holding a picture of new cheese in their minds, seeing themselves doing well in a new job, made them feel better and helped them do better in job interviews. Several got better jobs. Laura asked, what about the people who remained in your company? Well, Michael said, instead of complaining about the changes that were happening, people now said, they just moved our cheese. Let's look for the new cheese. It saved a lot of time and reduced stress. Before long, the people who had been resisting saw the advantage of changing. They even helped bring about change. Corey said, why do you think they changed? They changed after the peer pressure in our company changed. He asked, what happens in most organizations you've been in when a change is announced by top management? Do most people say the change is a great idea or a bad idea? A bad idea, Frank answered. Yes, Michael agreed. Why? Carlos said, because people want things to stay the same and they think the change will be bad for them. When one person says the change is a bad idea, others say the same. Yes, 
They may not really feel that way, Michael said, but they agree in order to fit in. That's the sort of peer pressure that fights change in any organization. Becky asked, So how were things different after people heard the cheese story? Michael said simply, The peer pressure changed. No one wanted to look like him. Everyone laughed. They wanted to sniff out the changes ahead of time and scurry into action rather than get hemmed in and be left behind. Nathan said, That's a good point. No one in our company would want to look like him. They might even change. Why didn't you tell us this story at our last reunion? This could work. Michael said, It does work. It works best, of course, when everyone in your organization knows the story, whether it's in a large corporation, a small business, or your family, because an organization can only change when enough people in it change. Then he offered one last thought. When we saw how well it worked for us, we passed the story along to people we wanted to do business with, knowing they were also dealing with change. We suggested we might be their new cheese, that is, better partners, for them to succeed with. It led to new business. That gave Jessica several ideas and reminded her that she had some early sales calls in the morning. She looked at her watch and said, Well, it's time for me to leave this cheese station and find some new cheese. The group laughed and began saying their goodbyes. Many of them wanted to continue the conversation but needed to leave. As they left, they thanked Michael again. He said, I'm very glad you found the story so useful and hope that you will have the opportunity to share it with others soon. Afterward The story of Who Moved My Cheese was created by Dr. Spencer Johnson during a period of enormous change in his personal life. Although it took almost 20 years for Dr. Johnson to turn this story into a book, its success was immediate. It became a number one bestseller. A million hardcover copies were in print within the first 16 months, over 21 million copies in the next five years. The story has found its way into homes, companies, schools, churches, the military, and sports teams. It has improved careers, businesses, health, and marriages, and has been translated into many foreign languages. By 2005, Amazon.com reported that Who Moved My Cheese was their number one best-selling single book title of all time. In July 2008, Dr. Johnson came into the Simon & Schuster Studios to talk about the phenomenon of Who Moved My Cheese, the changes that he has seen since he wrote the book 10 years ago, and why he felt the need to invent this story in the first place. Dr. Spencer Johnson. Well, I remember in 1979 when I first invented this story for myself. I didn't write the book until 1997, so I lived it for almost 20 years. In 1979, I was going through a divorce. By the way, she was terrible and I was a perfect prince. And of course, I knew that wasn't the case. And I knew that if I didn't change, I would probably have the same experience again. And so I really invented this silly little story of four characters, Sniff and Scurry and Hem and Hall, running through a maze looking for cheese, which represents whatever you think is worth pursuing. And I knew that the best way to change is to laugh at yourself, laugh at your mistakes and your follies so you're not defensive, and to say, you know what, I make mistakes and I need to change. And I think that if you realize that new cheese is better, then it's fun to change. 
What you're afraid of, of course, is that the change is going to lead to something worse. So it's been fascinating. I've never written a book, whether it was a one-minute manager or any of the other books I've written, where people have come up to me with the book open to a certain page and asked me to autograph their book. And when I see that, I always know what the page is. It's always, what would I do if I wasn't afraid? That is remarkable. And I remember asking myself that. I didn't realize it was so powerful, but it was useful for me. Because, of course, I was never going to get married again. I was never going to do this and never do that. And that's fear-based. And how many of us are afraid of change? When I'm speaking, when I used to speak more often, I would ask the people in the audience, if you're afraid of change, will you please stand up? And, of course, nobody stood up. And I would say, well, maybe you'll like this question better. If you think other people are afraid of change, would you stand up? And, of course, the entire audience stands up, and they all start laughing. And so I said, and who is it you're laughing at? And, of course, they recognize it's themselves. If we can laugh at ourselves, I think that's the best sign of mental health. If we don't defend our position. Here we are 10 years later, and what many people thought was going to happen has happened. Would there be more or less change in the next 10 years? Well, Alvin Toffler, who wrote Future Shock long before I wrote Who Moved My Cheese, predicted that change would accelerate. It would be faster and would be more a state of future shock for all of us because we weren't taught to think in terms of change. I remember the old days, you used to have job security in Japan if you worked for one corporation, or here if you worked for a bank or for IBM. And of course, those industries have undergone tremendous change. So what about us? What about the changes in our own lives? And how does 2008 compare to 1998? I think we'd all agree that change is more rapid. It's on a larger scale. And the people who are going to win, who are winning today, are those who develop change skills. And most of us hadn't even heard of the phrase change skills. So what are those skills? Like sniff, can you sniff out what's coming? Can you anticipate change? If you can, you can be more prepared for it. Can you take new actions? Something different. You know, Try something new. Maybe it'll work. Maybe it won't work. And you can change course easily in the maze. Or can you be like Haw? Haw is named appropriately. Ha ha. Laugh at yourself. It's not just hemming and hawing, delaying, adapting to change, but it's hawing. It's laughing at yourself. Haw couldn't do that. It's ironic. His name was Haw. But he would just scream, Who moved my cheese? suggesting it was unfair. Not that any of us, of course, have ever done that. <laughs> and him, while he also delayed adapting to change, finally looked at Haw and started laughing because he saw himself in Haw. And he laughed at himself, and I think that's our challenge. So I think in 2008, if we can adapt and have fun adapting, more change skills, we're going to prosper more in 2009. Why would... Almost everybody, and this includes different cultures. Why would they all pick the same page? What would I do if I wasn't afraid? So I reflected on that, and I looked at myself, because most of my adult life, I didn't think I was afraid. Me? I was a physician, and I became a full-time writer, so I left medicine, and people said, what a courageous thing to do. Not really, because it's what I had a passion to do. So I never saw myself as afraid. But when I examined things more closely. Someone else would have recognized that I was afraid. I didn't recognize it. And I think just asking yourself the question, what would I do if I wasn't afraid, 
course, your first reaction is probably is, well, I'm not afraid. And if you say that with too much energy, <laughs> it should be a clue. I think the most devastating fear is the fear that we're unaware of. I remember in the first edition of Who Moved My Cheese, which has been rewritten 10 times since it was published based on reader feedback, I remember I had originally written Fear Immobilizes You. And then I heard uh, Andy Grove, who wrote Only the Paranoid Survive, make the really good point that a little fear is very helpful. If you're afraid that your competitors are gaining on you in the business world, it prompts you to innovate and do things. So I rewrote that section by adding a couple of sentences. You know, some fear is very useful. Too much fear immobilizes you. So I think this whole element of fear, once you become aware of it, you're not as frightened. It doesn't run you as much. I think what runs us is what we're not aware of. I think the power of Who Moved My Cheese today compared to when it came out in 1998 is that all of us are dealing with much more change than we did 10 years ago. Well, guess what's going to happen 10 years from now? So I think those of us who develop change skills now are going to be able to use them for a lifetime. It's interesting. I think the second most powerful idea in the book is what would I do if I wasn't afraid? And I think I realized I didn't make the most important point clear enough. Because I think the most important point is to imagine new cheese. Imagine how much you would enjoy it. It's in the book. Hall, as he's running through the maze, imagines what new cheese would be and how much he would enjoy it. And that's actually what drove me when I was younger. What would a joyful marriage be like? What would an ideal husband be like? Starting with yourself is much more powerful than starting with the other person. If I could just get that other person to change, then my life would work. Wrong. As you change, you become a magnet. And you wind up attracting very different energy to you, a very different person in business, a very different world. Now, while I love and appreciate and am honored by the business community's affection for who moved my cheese and how often it's used in business, I think the real power is also in individuals' lives, and that's where my passion is. As a physician, I'm much more interested in helping individuals get something better, because I think enough of us individuals get something better will make the world a better place. It's interesting that uh, we made the changes in the book seamless. We never announced them. I think what changed is the sense of urgency. I think in 98, we didn't feel the sense of urgency. It wasn't moving as fast as it is now. And I think probably the biggest single change has been the Internet. I think in the last 10 years, the Internet has changed not only our world, but the speed of transactions. I mean, it is remarkable. And what used to happen in America is now happening globally, and we're finding out about it almost instantaneously. That's a major change. The timing of everything is so much faster. And that's why I think the need for clarity today is much more important even than it was in 98 because once you get clear on what works and what doesn't work, you can be pretty quick and pretty decisive. A good friend of mine has an expression. He says, it's not getting it that takes so long. When you get it, it's usually in a microsecond. You go, ah, I got it. And so I think that's been the biggest change in the last 10 years is uh, the speed of change and the need for clarity and urgency so you can respond quickly. Now, that doesn't mean knee-jerk. I'm a great believer in thinking things through. You know, sleep on it for a night. See if it makes as much sense to you the next day as it does today. I think it's now becoming more fun to change than it used to be because you see more payoffs. You see it in products. 
to see products changing faster than they used to. They get better and they get cheaper. So why not do the same thing ourselves? Why not have fun changing? I'll give you another change. We're working now more in teams than we used to. As a sort of idealistic young physician, I used to try to help a lot of people. I don't know how many of you have tried helping the same person with the same issue over and over and over, but my patience has worn thin. So when I wrote the first draft of Who Moved My Cheese, I think I must have been trying to help someone a lot with the same issue over and over because in the first draft, the first issue, nobody went back for him. And he didn't get it. He was left behind. And uh, the reaction poured in for people. Wait a minute. They're supposed to be buddies. How come he didn't go back and help them? So I said, okay, I'll go back once. And I think we all need to go back at least once. We need to help each other up. And then after we've given it our best shot, if the other person isn't ready to change, we need to respect that. God bless you. Good luck. And we need to let them experience the consequence. Consequence is a wonderful teacher. I think consequence is much more powerful than conversation. And when we try to keep people from consequences, whether it's our kids or our friends or our colleagues or our parents or whatever, I think we get in the way of them changing because pain is a wonderful teacher. So I would say that is one of the many changes that is in the current edition of Who Moved My Cheese that wasn't in the early editions. Now we went back for him, Ha did, go back for his buddy. He made a real honest effort. But when him looked out into the maze, it was just too scary. What he didn't realize is it's safer to be in the maze, even if you're lost, than it is to stay in a cheeseless situation where you're going to lose. And so I think this whole element of teamwork, which I really believe in, is very powerful, is much more powerful than any individual. And I think it's a great way to adapt to change is get some people on your team. I think just from the volumes, the over 25 million copies in print today are a testimony that as wonderful as it is for business, because if business doesn't change, it really pays a very big price today. And the biggest reason that businesses don't change faster is because not enough people want to change. They want to stay the same because they think it's safe. So in the business world, the key is to get enough people in an organization wanting to change and the minute you realize you're going to get something better, of course you want to change. So I've been very uh, grateful for the business community, the way they embraced the former book that I wrote with Ken Blanchard called The One Minute Manager and Who Moved My Cheese. It really was purchased on a much larger level by individuals. And I think for family members and people they cared about. I remember when I was on the Today Show with Matt Lauer, he very kindly said that he often gives my books to his friends. And I think that's what's most rewarding and most uh, powerful is that to care enough about somebody else that you actually give them a copy of the audio, which is wonderful. You can listen to it in the car or the book. I think that's where the real power is today. There's so much more power to the individual with the Internet. I think it's fascinating that presidential candidates are both proposing change. And I think the real appeal mostly is to individuals. It's individuals in business and individuals outside of it in families, because individuals have the most control over themselves. They can't always control the business, the large organization, but they can choose to change. They can imagine their new cheese, whatever that is to them. And then if you follow that vision of new cheese through the maze, it's actually fun. It's not scary. You can't be both imagining something better and afraid at the same time. 
I think one of the things that's meant the most to me over the years is how many husbands and wives gave it to each other. One found it. I remember standing in line once at the Army-Navy game meeting the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, who was an Army guy. And uh, there was this long line, and there was this assistant who was, you know, waving in the background, everybody go faster through the line because the general wants to meet everybody and doesn't have much time. And as I came up, we all had little name tags on. And this lady, the general's wife, who stood in line before him, squealed, saying, Oh, my God, she tugs her husband, Eric, do you know who this is? Now, my name is not well-recognized. My books are, but he said, this is the fellow that wrote Who Moved My Cheese? Well, she read the book first, and she gave it to her mate, and he implemented it in the Army. There's the power of teamwork. It wasn't that the person in the organization discovered the book. It was a member of his family discovered the book, and it touched her individually, and I think that's where the power of the individual comes in. And then she got her favorite teammate, her husband, to look at it, and that affected him, and then he affected an entire organization. And the army began to change faster. It's like the head of the Israeli army every Christmas gives a gift. And he gave Who Moved My Cheese to all of his top commanders. The irony was that in many Arab countries, the Arabs were doing the same thing. They were using the book with their commanders, with their government leaders. And so each side recognized we need to change. And if we do, we could get something better. When you're younger, you think certain things are important. And they're usually acquisition. More this, more that. And then as you get older and you find those things are not actually very fulfilling, they're not as satisfying as you hoped they would be, they're like empty calories, I think what happens as you get more life experience and perhaps experience more pain that you shift what's important to you and you change. And it's an interesting point about Hall wanting to live in a mansion atop Camembert Hill, which, by the way, I think is just fine. Go for it. Enjoy the mansion. I don't mean to say that that's not important. It just isn't anywhere near as important as what Hall thinks. He wants to live in a comfortable cottage with a loving family. Now, if you can get your mansion on Camembert Hill and have a loving family, <laughs> that's the best of both worlds. But there's no question which is more valuable, which is more nurturing. And I think it's fascinating. I know this will date it, but as we saw the hostages released from the jungle, what did they think was important? What do people think that's important that have reached the top of the pile? They almost always say family and friends. And because that's what nurtures you. And in my new book, Peaks and Valleys, which Simon & Schuster will provide the audio for, as you get older, the things you think are peaks, highs that you look forward to, they really do change. You get your biggest joys out of different things. And it's interesting how Peaks and Valleys ties in with Who Moved My Cheese, because the valleys really are moments of fear. The peaks are times that you appreciate what you have, and the valleys are times that you long for what is missing and how you're afraid that's going to affect you in the future. And so it's interesting, even though the new book is entirely new and different, it's about a young man that lives in a valley, and he's unhappy in the valley, until he goes to visit an old man who lives on a peak and discovers the peaks and valleys approach to work and life. And it's amazing how, I didn't even think of this when I was writing it, but how peaks and valleys really is a sequence. It's definitely not a sequel, because him and Ha don't live on the peak or in the valley. They're just two characters, a young man and an old man, not unlike the one-minute manager. 
But the books are remarkably related because Who Moved My Cheese is about change and Peaks and Valleys are about the parade of changes we all have in our life, that work in life is a parade of peaks and valleys, ups and downs. And once you understand the secrets of the peaks and you know how to manage your good times, which most people don't think they have to be managed, they wind up being squandered by most of us. And once you understand the purpose of a valley, and basically the peaks are times for you to appreciate what you have and valleys are times when you long for what is missing. Well, in the definition, gives you the answer. You can take any moment, and it depends what you're looking at. So again, it's about change, and it's adapting to the natural changes that happen all the time. Managing the good times, I think, means three things. I think, number one, it means remembering how you got there. Number two, I think it means being humble and curious to learn more. And number three, it means saving some of your resources that you will need to prosper in the forthcoming valleys. The mistake you make on the peak is arrogance that you're not aware of. The arrogance is, I did this, this will last forever. Wrong, you're not in touch with reality. You didn't get there alone. A lot of it was timing. You see this with real estate developers. They think they're geniuses, and some of them are very good, but it was the cycle. And if you keep behaving in the same way during the down cycle, you'll go bankrupt. So it's the ability, like who moved my cheese, to anticipate change. It's the respect of peaks and valleys. These cycles are secular, and you need to watch for the upcoming signs. So I think managing the peak means respecting it and respecting its temporary. The key, I think, is to be grateful on the peak. If you know how to manage your peaks and you know how to be grateful on the peak and humble on the peak, I call it being realistic on the peak, you will know how to come out of a valley faster. People want to know how to get out of a valley more than they want to know how to stay on a peak. But once you know how to stay on a peak by being grateful, it's easier to come out of a valley because if you're really wise, you're grateful for your valleys. Your valleys are invaluable times. Most of us know that when we look back on the valley, like the person who gets fired, if you ask them within weeks, how are you feeling, it's almost devastating. To me, that's one of the scariest things in the world. You have to provide for your family and you're fired. And in downtimes, you see way too much of that. Ask them five years later. How do you feel about being fired five years ago? What do they almost always say? Best thing that ever happened to me. Because it wasn't a fit. It wasn't a match. Well, if we can look back on the valley, why not get it while we're in the valley? Because we can change that moment of fear right then and there. Again, what would you do if you weren't afraid? Taking that same metaphor, who gets the job when they go out looking for it? Two people have both been fired. One person is frightened for very understandable reasons. The other person is excited about new cheese. Which one do you want to hire? And so this stuff, which may seem philosophical, is actually very practical. The two books, Who Moved My Cheese and Peaks and Valleys, inform and complement each other to a remarkable extent. When I started writing Peaks and Valleys in 1990, again, I'm a little slow writing such short books, but as Winston Churchill said before the House of Parliament, I'm sorry for giving such a long speech, but I didn't have the time to prepare a short one. Well, that's how I am with my books. They're very short, they're very small, but it takes me years of living the book first, which I think is the real power. 
We hope you have enjoyed this unabridged production of Who Moved My Cheese? An Amazing Way to Deal with Change in Your Work and in Your Life by Spencer Johnson. Read by Tony Roberts and Karen Ziemba. This program was produced and directed by Karen Frillman and Carol Shapiro. Associate producer, Amre Klimchak. Text copyright 1998 by Spencer Johnson, M.D. Production copyright 1998, Simon & Schuster, Inc. All rights reserved. Audible hopes you have enjoyed this program.